Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. We're back with another edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Good to be with you again, Alan. Uh, Good morning, Fred. Nice to be here again. And right at the top, we have a guest joining us from a company based in Israel. Nir Erez is the CEO and co-founder of MoveIt. It's M-O-O-V-I-T. Thank you for joining us, Nir. Uh, Nice to be for you to be with us this morning. Thank you for having me. Well, tell us in a nutshell what MoveIt is all about. So MoveIt started about five years ago with a very clear mission to provide data or mobility data to people around the world. We figured out that uh, maybe the most important challenge that uh, uh, commuters reported about was lack of information, mainly regarding transit information, both static and real time. So MoveIt started collecting and building um, the world's largest repository of uh, public transit and other mobility options within the urban area. Um, And uh, actually, we started in Israel, but we uh, grew pretty quickly um, to a point where today we are by far the largest repository for transit data. We cover more than 2,000 cities in uh, 80 countries, um, and uh, we add a new city to our service um, in average about every 15 hours. Well, step us step us through how your your app is used. This is an app that people can use, right? Yes, it's a free app, and uh, it's actually being downloaded all over the world. Um, people open move it actually to answer a very simple question of how do I get to, and uh, they just set a destination of a point of interest or an address, and move it will uh, provide them a, a true multimodal trip plan that will combine all means of transportation uh, within their urban area uh, to their destination. Now, it started as as a public transit app, but uh, in the last few years, we've been able to aggregate um, other options of uh, mobility, such as on-demand rides uh, like Uber, Lyft, uh, Cabify, Get, and others, together with some private shuttle business in many cities, Um, city bikes, walking, um, and any other mobility option, including carpool service uh, that we provide here in Israel. So eventually you get all your options um, and you can actually estimate how long it will take and you can connect between all these means of transportation. Did I understand you correctly that you are actually in in the business as well of providing transportation? So it's not a business uh, provider. It's it's more of a marketplace where we actually connect between uh, drivers who commute to work and people who are just uh, in the area with a very clear intent to get to the same destination at the same time frame, which is it's an excellent uh, opportunity to reduce the number of cars um, on the roads and just combine more than one person in one car. So we're more of a matching between people rather than uh, setting our own service. 
Now, you've you've just raised $50 million uh, led by Intel Capital. Congratulations on that. Thank you, guys. How do you see your technology playing a role in the shift to smart driving or self-driving vehicles? So we look at it in, in, in actually two phases. There's the short term um, and, and the long term. And when, when I say long term, I'm, I'm speaking about five years and on, but the short term is the next five years. So I think in the short term, there's uh, so many things to do in order to enhance, um, you know, the, the current mobility options and combining between them to make this more of a aggregating platform, mobility as a service platform that we provide. But in the same time, um, you know, looking forward five years from now at autonomous vehicles fleets, uh, we have a very clear vision that regardless of the situation, cities will have to play a much more of an active role um, moving forward. And even if autonomous vehicles fleets will be operated by private uh, companies, it will still be highly regulated in a way that it will be part of what we call today public transit. And if this is the situation, MoveIt is definitely um, already working on how to combine or incorporate uh, this type of mobility or new mobility uh, means into the service of the people. We currently have about 100, a little bit more than 120 million users, but um, the pace of growth is, is crazy. And uh, we're pretty sure to, that we're going to cross the 1 billion users by 2021. So going back to what I said before, before we even get to the long-term vision, in the short term, we will provide more than billion people with uh, uh, all the combinations available in their city for, for mobility. Alan, do you want to jump in here? Well, uh, yeah, I think I think it's a it's a very interesting uh, approach. Of course, uh, the key is to be able to get to the customer. That's the person that wants the trip, and uh, and those trips have to be put together. And and how you then put the the service providers, how you assemble them so that people, uh, the customer, the, the the trip maker, can get. Uh, from where he he or she is coming from to where they're going when they want to go is the key factor and you need an enormous amount of information to be able to do that and to, and to help the to make it trivial for the people for people to do that and all that requires the most important thing is it requires scale and uh, and the scale is really important and what's interesting here is it looks like um, they're building the scale to do this uh, absolutely. I mean, you've touched the the most important point here. Um, scale is is in multiple aspects. From the technology side, I mean, we're we're built to scale to uh, to any size. But uh, from a data perspective, one of the things we figured out very early that we cannot scale just by the power of our hundred employees that we have today, and not even a fifty million dollars from Intel will help us do that. But uh, what helped us is the fact that we were able to build a community of volunteers that not only built their city data, but they also maintaining it constantly. So more than 1.5 million people volunteered actively to help us. Um, out of this enormous number, we qualified after training, online training, more than quarter of a million editors that currently working for us voluntarily 
building their city data, updating it, and make sure that it's the most uh, accurate and up-to-date information. Alan, based based on your comment, I think that's maybe the most important asset that we have. Uh, absolutely, and and uh, that opportunity uh, to do scale with, in, in some sense, your customers. Uh, that that is um, that is the the real uh, real way to do it, uh, and uh, by providing uh, their a service to them and having them uh, uh, volunteer to help out is a um, is a very very good way to do this. Otherwise, you have to pay for it, <laughs> and that's uh, you know that's the efficient way. That's the efficient way to do crowdsourcing. Uh, the crowdsourcing is um, give the customer, uh, in some sense, a, a service, and then ask for help. And that, it turns out a lot of them come out and help you, right? That, at least that's what you found out. And that's what uh, others have found out. That's what we, we found out when we were doing turn-by-turn -turn navigation with building our our, our uh, digital map database for North America. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think we were blessed to have that. It's almost like finding a superpower that is growing on, and you don't need to invest any money into it, just, you know, building the right infrastructure for these guys and they're just coming. Um, and it's almost like yeah, this. I, I call it having respect for your customer. And if you have respect for your customer, then you provide them a service, but you also provide them an opportunity to help. And it turns out a lot of people want to help. Near what kind of presence do you have in the U.S.? So, you know, when we look at 120 million users that we have, it's it's divided almost equally between Europe, Latin America, and North America proportional to the population. So our presence in the U.S. is pretty massive. I mean, we cover hundreds of cities in the U.S. Um, and almost every um, large city in the U.S. and medium-sized city in the U.S. is covered by our service. And, and we're not uh, actually revealing exact numbers by country, but um, we have millions of millions of users in the U.S., and it's growing very rapidly. Interesting. For more information, where can folks go? Uh, well, moveit.com is our website, both for consumers, but also for cities uh, or transit operators that are interested to to get statistical data. We, we collect today uh, completely anonymously about one more than one billion data points from our users, which um, creates um, a full visibility, you know, when it accumulates over the years, a full visibility to the city demand. And uh, on our website, both consumers can find their destination, but also cities and, and transit operators can join us and, and actually get a lot of analysis uh, data about the city demand, where people are starting their trip and where they're heading every day, every hour, every day of the week. And you're you're willing to share all that data? Well, we we share some of this data, but mostly we we started to actually license this data, uh, both to cities and to transit operators. And the end goal is to go back again to the consumers. If a city gets a clear visibility to the demand and they just better utilize the infrastructure. That's another value for the users. So we, we bring value to the users by a free app that will always give them the right directions. But also, if we help their city or their operators in the city to better utilize the infrastructure, then that's the second type of benefit that we're providing. 
Very interesting. Again, the company is called Moveit, M-O-O-V-I-T. Nir, thank you for spending the time with us today. It was my pleasure. Yeah, really nice having you. Thank you. You're welcome. Moving on here, Alan, among the big stories is a report uh, from Newsweek that has a headline, uh, self-driving cars with no humans behind the wheel are almost here. Uh, The California Department of Motor Vehicles may decide on Monday, and approval is expected on changes to rules that could result in the issuance of fully driverless permits as early as April 2nd. That's something you've been waiting to see for a while. Well, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, waiting to see it actually happen. And of course, uh, California, you know, last year or so uh, issued uh, their their preliminary regs on uh, doing exactly that, the driverless and making it uh, uh, completely legal to be out there without um, anybody in the vehicle or any driver or any superintendent or supervisor or attendance. So, uh, yes, it's it's good. It's good that it's moving forward. Uh, uh, congratulations to everybody in California for moving it forward. Uh, the, uh, this is the, the real baby step of driverless. We we have to we have to go through this and get the first one out there. Now, whether or not that's going to happen first in California uh, under these regs and Waymo being out there doing it or um, Waymo doing it in Arizona first, again, without anybody, um, any attendant in the vehicle. Uh, we'll wait and see who wins that race. But um, yeah, it sounds like a bit of competition. Yeah, I mean, there's in some sense, I could maybe see a competition within Waymo. Will the California team do it before the Arizona team? I, I don't know. Um, um, but uh, I think they. I think they think they're ready, but again, I have no inside information, but um, it seems like the whole process is evolving and setting itself up to uh, um, for this birth. And in Japan, uh, Nissan Motor, this is just out this story, Nissan Motor and Dina, I think it's pronounced, uh, announced that the field tests of Easy Ride, a self-driving taxi service they developed together, are going to begin next month. And apparently they're going to have uh, remote monitoring on, on I guess, right. a li- limited roadways, perhaps. Right. And, and uh, you know, I think that uh, that's sort of uh, what the number of other people have been talking about. Again, um, the process has sort of been uh, you have a driver behind a wheel ready to take over. You then put the driver in the back seat and with a button ready to take over and then eventually you then take it to a remote facility where some remote operator is sort of looking over things ready to jump in and help and uh, and eventually you have that operator operating who knows thousands of them you know simultaneously so I mean that's I think that's that's the normal gestation evolutionary period that's going through. And I think that's, that's normal. Good. Wonderful. And an interesting business model here too. I I suppose we should mention is that uh, during the ride, uh, there'll be like a concierge service that uh, with suggestions on a screen for sightseeing destinations or, or maybe things that people can stop and buy coupons available for download as the vehicle is traveling. 
So uh, there's a business well, model there. Well, of course, there's a business model there. I guess, you know, I've written, maybe we've discussed that, you know, Waymo could actually provide, you know, rides for free, maybe, depending on, you know, look, they, they, they have you in some sense at their mercy for the whole ride. And depending on what kind of um, comforts and conveniences they wish to deliver to you, you may reach into your pocket and spend some money and actually end up, you know, indirectly paying for the ride. And everybody would be a happy camper. So, uh, of course, there's there's a business model. I mean, you see it in, in taxis today. You, you, you see it, you know, they put TVs in the back there and they tell you whatever and so on. They try to sell you some things that's just not done very well. Um, or, excuse me, maybe it is done well. I just don't appreciate it. But, um, you know, the, of course, there's, there's that opportunity. And, um, yes. <laughs> Interesting. Now, in the latest Smart Driving Car newsletter, uh, you're highlighting the draft of a research report on the rapidly evolving interplay between public transportation systems, private vehicles, and the new transportation network companies like Uber and Lyft. Uh, what's your takeaway from that? Well, my takeaway is is that really um, uh, what what the uh, uh, ride hailing companies have really given us is that they've given us. Um, a, a window into the view as to what you could do if you really had driverless uh, vehicles out there providing mobility for everybody. Uh, they, they've basically gotten us started um, with the labor component in there, the driver in there, and and the kinds of mobility that 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 really um, are provided on, on demand. Uh, when people want it, uh, from where they are to where they're going. And it's really interesting, and it just shows. And it's the kind of mobility that people have had to had to provide for themselves with their own car uh, up to now is now being provided by 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 a, a service. And 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 that service wasn't provided by public transit. Why? Because because it was uh, it was just too expensive. Um, it, it's 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 in it, it's not just commuting to work. It's not just all packed in one particular time or one quarter. And and so what we're seeing out of this, the interesting things is um, with Uber and Lyft is, you know, it's it's being used weekends and nights. It's you know, people going out and and really. Uh, uh, maybe enjoying themselves a little bit more on the evening out and now taking advantage of being able to be chauffeured back home and not having to drive. I think in the end, when we look at that and we look at that closely, it may show up that this is an enormous benefit to our society because it's basically taken people who shouldn't be driving at times that they shouldn't be driving off the streets and now they're riding. And so that's the first places and, 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 and and then if 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 this then can scale and grow and 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 do it for more of our mobility needs, I think it it just improves the quality of life of everybody, and it does it in at a scale of 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 uh, at a human scale at what we want as individuals. This is what the car gave us. The problem is we had to drive it, we had to park it, and had to sit around and wait for us. And now it's just available. 
and I've, I've always used the, the the elevator analogy in, in a high rise. I mean, just think of the kinds of mobility that the elevator offers on in a high rise going between floors. This is what these systems, uh, this is what Uber, Lyft, and Didi and so on are beginning to do uh, horizontally. And if we can uh, make them driverless, then I think that we can get to scale instead of it serving just you know, 1% or less than 1% of the trips that we do instead of being just something that, that that we use every once in a while, we might end up using it all the time. But that means it has to grow by 10x or 20x or 30x or 40x or 50x. And and to do that scale, I think uh, we need uh, um, artificial intelligence in the vehicle uh, and, and for it to be driverless. So, it, we're getting a wonderful view, and instead of you know saying, "Oh, this is bad, and let's tax it, and let's you know make it worse," you know we should be embracing it. It's providing, it's improving the quality of life of of, of a certain set of people, and it can do that for even more of them. And I think improve the environment and, and energy and everything else as it goes along. That seems more and more consumers are are giving it a try, at least. On a serious side here, there was a crash of a, of a Tesla Model 3 on autopilot, a, a pretty bad crash, uh, that has Elon Musk promising improvements. You're bringing up some of the points that we've been talking a lot about lately regarding this. Yes, I think the, you know, I think in our rush to do driverless, which I think we should rush to do, uh, we may have missed, the, you know, and, and gone not done so well in the first hurdle and tripped over it because, you know, the first thing that we have to do in all this automation of, of the driving function is the is the keep vehicles from crashing and and that focuses on the automated emergency braking system and 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 that automated emergency braking system has to work and it has to work really well and and, and we can't be timid about it. And in a sense, um, uh, I think uh, people should be looking at uh, at really how well or not well those systems have been designed and and don't work, and um, and let's fix that and make sure that that happens because those systems, the automated emergency braking system, has to work for the safe driving car, self driving car, and driverless car. Okay. You can't have a, a driverless Waymo <clears throat> going down the freeway and all of a sudden the, the car in front of it, uh, you know, move over to, to the to the move over uh, to the next lane. And they're why? Because there's a stationary object in that lane and it not react to it. And so, you know, and that's that's sort of the purview of the automated emergency <clears throat> emergency braking system. And that system, I, I believe, just that hasn't been designed to work well, and we need to redesign it. Bloomberg Technology has an interesting story that says uh, nobody wants to let Google win the war for maps all over again. It talks about how many companies are out there with vehicles trying to do mapping and asks, maybe if that isn't a waste of resources. Well, I don't, you don't, you don't want to ask me because, uh, <laughs> because I, don't, I don't think you need high-definition maps in the first place. I don't think they. I mean, it's it's nice to have if they're essentially free, but but you know you don't want to go out and pay very much money for them because because guess what's not in a high definition map uh, that uh, fire truck is stopped in that lane. 
okay, or because that just happened, or the vehicles moving around you, or the pedestrians, or the bicyclists, or the, the children chasing balls across the street, they're not in those maps. So you have to have enough intelligence, enough good enough sensors in the vehicle to be able to deal with those things. And so if you can deal with those things, then you can deal with the stationary tree and the light pole and the, and the lanes and the things that are so meticulously mapped in your high-definition map. Uh, that, that's almost trivial compared to the other things. So I don't know what a high-definition map does for you. I think you sort of need to know where you are uh, but but to the extent that, that our current turn-by-turn navigation systems know about where we are and say, hey, just ahead, turn left or turn right, uh, that's all it needs to do. It needs it for the navigation function, not for the collision avoidance function, not for the, for the stay in your lane function. And those functions, uh, you have to do that relative to the vehicle, the nose of the vehicle, and and uh, and you have to look at what is the changing environment. Um, and if you can do the changing environment, you can do the stationary environment too. So, um, yes, it's a waste of money. And who cares if Waymo wins it? And along the lines of what you're saying there, uh, we're about a month away from NVIDIA's GPU technology conference. Uh, Forbes is calling it the place to be for those involved with artificial intelligence or machine learning. And, of course, uh, we expect Alan to be there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I went there last year, and I, I think I, I my I, my jaw dropped for the whole time I was there. I'll be there again this year. I'm taking uh, four of my students with me. Um, um, yeah, I, they just take a look at what's going on. I think, you know, uh, one needs both the compute power of the, uh, and also the uh, analytical approaches. And um, uh, last year when I went, I must admit, I expected to, to be mostly uh, mostly gamers or something like that. Um, and um, I'm not really into gaming. And went out there and said, oh, my goodness, it's nothing but Fortune 500s. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, should be interesting, uh, and, and in some sense, uh, partially rival CES, and, and, and in some aspects, uh, surpass CES. And uh, while we're on that subject, uh, the second annual summit uh, that you're having at Princeton isn't is it all that far away either? Right, that's going to be in mid-May, and um, and uh, we have some very good people coming. Hopefully, we can. You know, the, what we're trying to do there is is bring people to, to discuss this. It's certainly not to preach at people, but, you know, there are still, we're still at the very beginning of this. Um, uh, we're still at Kornhauser scale equal to one, um, whatever, and, um, uh, and and it's just trying to bring the, the good people together on the, on, the, on the number of issues that we face. And, I know I'm I'm a little bit outspoken uh, in, in some of the views that I have, uh, but hey, I, I can't see the future any better than anybody else, and we just need to work together on the, on all this. Uh, I, I think it, there there's an enormous uh, value uh, to society on this. Uh, there's value to the environment. There's value for mobility. There's leveling of the playing fields. And, Better enable people to get get to, to workplaces and 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 places they enjoy. I mean, um, 
I think this is a good thing for all of us to work on. And people can find more at the smartdrivingcar.com. That's it for this week. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com on SoundCloud, Spreaker, and even ask Alexa, Siri, or Google Play for the Smart Driving Cars podcast. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. We want to thank Nir Erez from Move It for joining us, and thank you for listening.